0: Welcome to the Natural Health Rising podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Smith, Certified Functional Diagnostic Nutrition Practitioner. I'm here to deliver you weekly episodes where you will hear conversations with health experts and solo episodes about functional medicine and all things holistic health. My goal is to provide you with the knowledge and tools you need in order to help you rise to your healthiest, happiest self. So on this episode, I have the pleasure of speaking with Dr. Alyssa Dweck. Dr. Dweck has been named a top doctor by both New York Magazine and Westchester Magazine and has appeared on The Today Show and Good Day LA. Dr. Dweck is the co author of three books, including The Complete A to Z for Your V, The Sexual Spark, and V for Vagina. In addition, Dr. Dweck is the chief medical officer of Bonafide, a company providing natural remedies and solutions for the hormonally induced symptoms that occur throughout women's lives with an effective, safe alternative to hormone replacement therapy. Welcome Dr. Dweck.
1: Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for that introduction.
0: Yeah, I am excited to talk to you today. Um, I always like to dive into people's stories in the beginning, just kind of hearing more about you a little bit and really what got you into this line of work.
1: Yes. So, you know, I'm one of those people who just really is drawn to all kinds of drama. And when I was about 15 or 16, you know, the usual type of uh, search for a summer job came upon me and I decided to uh, work in a hospital nearby that was a super busy hospital. And lo and behold, where did they throw me? They put me in the labor and delivery suite of an incredibly busy ward as the uh, clerk. So I sort of did all of the uh, you know, clerical uh, responsibilities there. I was hooked right away, just seeing all these women coming in, you know, uh, excited, scared, moaning because they were getting ready to have a baby. I really found uh, that so many of the people that I met, particularly the physicians were such mentors to me. So the rest is history. I pursued medicine um, straight out of college. I also have a background in nutrition. And, you know, so I speak the gynecology language. I've been practicing OBGYN for about 25 plus years. And throughout this time, I realized I really had a talent for, but also a real interest in speaking to the masses of just regular lay people about my field of work, thus the books. Uh, my nutrition background really led me towards working with the bona fide health uh, company. Um, because it's sort of an intersection between the natural supplement world and the traditional uh, medical world that I come from. So it was a a really natural fit for me.
0: Mm -hmm. Amazing. What a cool opportunity for you to be thrown into the delivery room and just see these beautiful experiences happening all the time. That's, it was
1: amazing, especially because they could have put me like in the pathology lab or the uh, morgue or something. So I lucked out.
0: I agree because when I, when I was in school, I also volunteered at a hospital for a while and I got put in the trauma and emergency center and I was cleaning up trauma scenes and it was absolutely terrifying.
1: (laughs) So quite a good drama, good drama there. But yeah, I totally understand. It's the luck of the draw.
0: Yeah. Both exciting experiences. Um, awesome. So I want to start off by talking a little bit about perimenopause. So can you explain exactly what's happening to a woman's body during this time? Um, and like what age this is happening and what should happen there?
1: Yeah. Uh, probably best to start with the formal definition of menopause, which is 12 consecutive months without menstruation for no other obvious reason, typically after the age of 40 perimenopause are those four to eight, sometimes even longer periods of time, those four to eight years leading up to menopause where hormonal changes are occurring, but they may not be quite as obvious. What's really going on is that ovulation, which typically occurs during the reproductive years in an effort to get pregnant, uh, starts to occur less frequently and then eventually not at all. So the typical, very well-orchestrated hormonal changes with estrogen, progesterone, testosterone that typically occur with ovulation are not occurring or not occurring as frequently or in an organized fashion. So symptoms occur during that time. The most iconic symptom that occurs early in perimenopause would be irregular bleeding, some sort of menstrual change to let people know that something's going on. Okay.
0: So- What can women do at this stage in their life? Are there certain supplements they should be taking lifestyle changes they should be making?
1: Yeah. Well, let's start with lifestyle because I think that's something that everybody needs to buy into. Uh, Diet is super important, both during perimenopause and menopause, especially because many, many will struggle with, with weight maintenance during this time. So really modifying diet. And I don't mean being on a weight loss diet, but really having a good diet lifestyle, such as the Mediterranean diet is going to be particularly helpful. Number two would be exercise best to get on an exercise plan before you're facing some of these struggles. uh, When uh, you can really start to build a little bit more muscle mass and, and manage your metabolism. So we usually recommend a good amount, maybe 150 minutes a week of cardio. And also weight training, flexibility and balance training, because these are all gonna help out in future, maybe when bones get weaker or when balance isn't as good. So best to start early. And then lastly would be stress-reductive measures, whether it's meditation, whether it's yoga, whether it's exercise, whatever that may be, because that's gonna serve people really well as they traverse perimenopause. In terms of symptoms that might need management, other mm-hmm. than the alteration in menstrual flow, which can sometimes be managed hormonally and sometimes is managed surgically and sometimes is not managed, but just reassurances provided. Many, many people will start to complain about what we call vasomotor symptoms, hot flashes, mm-hmm. night sweats, interrupted sleep. This can be managed with hormonal therapy, but we see so many people who are not interested or, or unable to take a hormone therapy. So luckily we have other options and you asked about supplements. So Bonafide Health, the company that I work with has multiple supplements. One in particular comes to mind called Relizin, which is made with a Swedish flower pollen and probably works through serotonin pathways in the brain to help with management of hot flashes and night sweats. And the beauty of this company is that they actually rely on good clinical research to support effective, safe use of their supplements. So we've seen many, many studies over the years to support that Relizin works well for hot flashes, works well for night sweats, helps to improve quality of life as a result of mitigating these symptoms, and has been really shown to be safe. So I think that's really important. And the biggest bonus for many is that it is non-hormonal and doesn't have any hormonal pathways like some of the other over-the-counter herbal supplements do, which are called phytoestrogens. And I'm happy to speak to that. I'm happy to speak to hormones and other medications in the pharmacology world that we use to treat these symptoms as well.
0: Yeah. So, so it sounds like the supplement you're talking about helps manage certain things like hot flashes, like you're saying, um, what are your thoughts on using herbs that support hormones like Vitex for progesterone or black cohosh for estrogen, those kinds of things.
1: Yeah. So black cohosh, I have a good amount of experience with. This is what's termed a phytoestrogen. So Mm -hmm. it's not for everybody because there may be some estrogenic properties. And so women maybe who have had estrogen dependent cancers like breast cancer Mm -hmm. may have to um, really limit or avoid use of these products depending on their individual histories. The other thing with black cohosh is that there is a very high placebo effect, which is good. That means people are feeling better after using this well, we're not really sure whether it's due to just the placebo effect or the actual supplement itself. Finally, my patients who use black cohosh and are happy with it. I typically will want to check their liver enzymes in maybe six months after use and every six months to ensure that there is no elevation because this is one uh, potential um, side effect that we can see with that particular supplement.
0: Mm, okay. A- affecting the liver. Got yeah. it. Yeah.
1: And, you know, I always want to mention this as well, because I am a traditionally trained physician. Herbal supplements are real. They have active compounds. If people are taking other medications or who have other health ailments, and I specifically think about something like taking a blood thinner, this often interferes with herbal supplements. So please do check in with your own provider to make sure that supplements would be appropriate in your particular case.
0: Yes, absolutely. Thank you for saying that. It's very important to do. What are your thoughts on things like soy for nutrition? I feel like that's one that is kind of a battle between people on, is it good or is it bad for estrogen and different things?
1: Yeah, I think soy is great in moderation. Um, You know, soy is a wonderful source of protein, uh, especially with so many people wanting to really Uh, get involved with a more plant-based diet. So soy goes a long way when it comes to uh, good healthful calories and higher protein. We do know that the Asian diets have much more soy and I don't believe that they have a much higher chance of estrogen dependent cancers. Nonetheless, their other environmental exposures may be different. So I think it's important again to use individual medical history. Now, what am I saying? If somebody has a history of breast cancer 10 years ago, and wants to eat a couple of edamame beans no problem but we would certainly give caution when it comes to using soy supplementation in larger doses on an every day or multiple time a day basis
0: mhm okay um if we're going into menopause so let's let's move into the next stage what's going to happen at this point in the woman's body
1: Yeah. So during menopause, there will be no bleeding. So that is one thing that does not need to be managed. During menopause, there is not a chance of pregnancy and you do not need to watch for fertility or to prevent pregnancy. That's something that does need to be taken into account during perimenopause. So a lot of my perimenopausal patients don't realize they actually still need to use some sort of contraception, whether it's Mm -hmm. a condom or oral contraception or an IUD or something along that line. In menopause, this is no longer necessary. Symptoms of hot flashes, night sweats, what we call vasomotor symptoms, you know, they they may last for a particular period of time. The average amount of time that we know about is about seven and a half years. That's been shown in study. Some people will have symptoms for much less than that, others for much longer. So this is still a symptom that needs to be uh, managed. I'd say sleep interruption is a big deal for lots of women and quality of sleep because so many women in menopause will wake up from a hot flash, let's just say. And even though the hot flash uh, subsides, they start to struggle with the busy mind and loads of thoughts, and they can't get back to sleep for that purpose. So Mm -hmm. this is where mindfulness training or other stress-reductive measures will come in handy, especially if they're started early on. We also see as a later symptom, but a super distressing symptom, vaginal dryness and difficulty with uh, intercourse because of Mm -hmm. discomfort. This is extremely common. And this is one of those symptoms that uh, we kind of uh, label as chronic and progressive. It's not going to get better by itself, but it absolutely can be managed over the long term. So what what do we usually advise? Well, of course there's always hormone. We can use estrogen in the vagina and plenty of people do rely on this. Other people really need to, or want to shy away from anything hormonal. So they'll use uh, a moisturizer in the vagina on a regular basis, similar to like when we use face cream every day. Mm. So Bonafide actually does make a hyaluronic acid containing insert that goes in the vagina twice or three times a week to really help mitigate those symptoms of dryness and painful intercourse. Uh, this along with a lubricant, a good lubricant that's used during intimacy can be game changers for people so that they can still maintain an active and comfortable sexual life.
0: Mm -hmm. Okay. Awesome. Um, so is there anything wrong in your mind with hormone replacement therapy? I, I, I feel like, you know, I'm hearing you say that a lot of people try and shy away from it. Um, yeah. are there neg- negative side effects? Like why would people be shying away from this?
1: Yeah. Well, a while back, I'm sure you've heard of this study called the WHI, which of course studied, uh, a very, very large cohort of women on a particular variety of hormone replacement therapy, an increased risk of breast cancer was noted in one particular arm of this study. And it was notable enough that they actually stopped that arm of the study. This sent the hormone replacement prescriptions and recommendations plummeting. So that's where the need for alternatives really started. With that said, over time, we realized that some of the results were really not interpreted 100% right, so that for the right person, hormone replacement is excellent. It definitely treats the symptoms, People are quite happy with it. They don't suffer adverse effects, but it is something that needs to be kept in mind. The package label of anything containing estrogen is going to say may increase risk of breast cancer, may increase risk of uterine cancer, may increase risk of cardiovascular events, including stroke or heart attack or blood clot. So this is real and it needs to be taken into account. Who cannot take hormone replacement therapy? Women who have had an estrogen dependent cancer, breast cancer, uterus cancer, for the most part with certain caveats, this is off the table for them because nobody wants to risk a recurrence of their cancer. Mm-hmm. Number two, some women are born with a genetic propensity towards blood clot. It's nothing they caused. It's nothing that came from the environment. They're just born with a gene that might be defective and increase risk of blood clot. These are people who cannot take estrogen because their risk of blood clot, particularly going to the lung and really causing an adverse uh, event, it's not acceptable. So that's something to keep in mind. Women who have migraine headache with aura, a kind where like you might lose your vision or your speech, mm. something diagnosed by a practitioner, uh, including a neurologist, these women may have a higher chance of stroke on hormone replacement containing estrogen. So I think it's most important to know that everything needs to be individualized. So hormone replacement is great for some, not appropriate for others. And then it's a shared decision made with providers and people uh, to see what will be best.
0: Okay. If someone doesn't know if they have that genetic blood clotting piece, is Mm -hmm. that a test that a HRT doctor would check for before? Or is there something specific they would want to ask for? Yeah,
1: that usually will come about with a family history or some sort of personal medical history that will kind of be a giveaway to do some testing. So for example, some women may have had a blood clot in their past, like perhaps during a pregnancy where estrogen levels are super high, that would prompt testing to see whether one of these genes is present. Some women will just uh, have a family history. Oh, my, my mom and my sister and my aunt, my mother's, my mother's sister all had blood clots. And that might be an impetus to do some blood testing on somebody before you start them on hormone replacement. Some people have had an event on a birth control pill that contains estrogen. So it's usually more of the art of medicine where you're really inquiring about a family history, a personal medical history, and uh, that type of thing. Mm -hmm. But it's not automatic blood testing that's done like with routine uh, blood work during your well woman visit.
0: Got it. Okay. So you touched on uh, like the vaginal dryness, sexual piece with women with menopause. Um, Low libido is also going to be pretty common with that too, right? Is there anything a woman can do to enhance that part?
1: Yeah. How much time do you have? (laughs) We've Uh, got a while left. Low libido is complicated for women. So for one, hormonal changes absolutely can influence libido. So I think that just sort of goes without saying. With that said, there are so many other nuances. If somebody's having sexual pain, of course their libido is going to drop because after all, who wants to do something that is going to be painful? So mm-hmm. that anticipation of pain causes avoidance, which leads to lower libido. So, naturally correcting that dryness and addressing that pain will naturally help to uh, increase libido. Number two, and again, remember, many menopausal women have maybe been through one or maybe more relationships. So, you do have to examine that because there's a big portion of women whose libidos are low for their current partner. But maybe if they had some novelty or something, uh, you know, another partner that they might be uh, interested in, their libido would be fine. So that's something to think about. And this is a situation that I always ask about because I'm not really qualified to help with that, but rather my mental health colleagues who work on marriage counseling or couples counseling or whatnot would really be a good referral. Uh, number three, medical issues. Somebody with heart disease, diabetes, you know, uh, cancer of some sort, a pain syndrome, uh, arthritis, these are people who may have some challenges and need to make accommodation to uh, have a more pleasurable sexual life. So this is something that needs to be addressed and that just falls under general medical uh, optimization. And then finally, um, you know, uh, hormonal changes can be addressed. So oftentimes we will use estrogen, whether it's topical in the vagina or systemic if there are other symptoms like hot flashes that need to be addressed. Oftentimes we will add testosterone to this regimen. This is a hormone that, uh, you know, typically noted as a male hormone, but we all make testosterone and this level declines significantly with, uh, with age. So sometimes we will supplement with that, even though it's not FDA approved for women, it's still used commonly with caution there are certain supplements that will help to enhance the sexual experience. They're not going to make you think of sex, but they will make it a better experience once you're engaged. So for women who are looking to uh, enhance that, Ristella is a uh, supplement, again, from Bonafide Health that is containing a strong antioxidant called pygnogenol, which helps to Enhance blood flow to the genital area during the sexual response. Where we really have found this helpful is in women with depression who are on medications that might Mm -hmm. impair their libido or their orgasm potential. So this has been shown in clinical study to help with that particular issue. And then one final thing I wanna mention because it really is so common, especially these days and after the pandemic, weight. If women are not feeling sexy because they are unhappy with their tone or weight, managing that will be helpful because after all, if they don't feel sexy, they're not going to feel sexual and that's for themselves, not necessarily for their partners. So weight Mm -hmm. management exercise and that type of uh, lifestyle management, like we spoke about earlier is very helpful.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm glad you mentioned all of those extra things because I think it's easy for someone to think, oh, well, if I just do hormones or something, but then thinking about, well, am I actually confident in my body? Am I happy with myself? Am I happy with my marriage, my relationship? Like,
1: It's a bio, social, medical. There's so many nuances. I mean, look, for some women who are just so super busy, they're very stressed out. They just literally have a to-do list that's a mile long. We have to sometimes tell them to plan sex, to put it in their calendar, doctor's orders to put everything else on the back burner for a short time or we have to instruct them on what we call bibliotherapy, start reading some erotic stuff, start watching mm-hmm. some movies that are suggestive, whatever your comfort level is, you know, romance, like outright porn, whatever works. And that will get the sort of the thoughts flowing. Um, and then privacy for some women can be an issue if they have kids at home, you know, cause men seem to be able to put all that on the back burner. But if a woman hears her children in the door or is worried somebody's gonna walk in, that's going to, you know, be a buzzkill. So a lock on the door is often recommended.
0: Okay. Well, while we're on the topic of, of sexual health and everything, um, what's the, what's the rate of women who don't actually have an orgasm? Um,
1: so I think that gets broken down a little bit. I don't know what the statistic of is somebody who's never had one ever in their lifetime or, what that's, that stat would be based on age, but this is what I do know. The standard quote is that 70% of women will not orgasm from intercourse or penetration alone. Mm-hmm. That direct literal stimulation is typically necessary. So this is something that needs to be communicated to a male partner because they may not be able to read the mind about this, <laughs> yeah. communication, particularly direct communication is very important. Uh, so I think that number is a reasonable one. Certainly it goes up for people on certain antidepressants, uh, and that type of thing. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. I just want to touch on that. I find it fascinating because I think it's something that, um, that I, I think that could also be an issue with the libido pieces, a woman feeling like, uh, self-conscious of that kind of stuff. Absolutely. And yeah. then again, if you don't have that communication piece or know how to make that happen, then that kind of can be thrown in the mix of everything there too.
1: Absolutely. And, you know, I I, I always uh, hate to bring this subject up, but it's necessary, you know, we always when we're doing a consultation for libido, uh, that's, that's uh, lower, we always ask about a history of abuse or a history of some Mm -hmm. sort of uh, Mm -hmm. trauma in past or the value system that somebody may have been uh, brought up with that might you know, really make sexual relations only for procreation or that it was a negative experience at some point that we need to get through. Again, I rely on my mental health colleagues to really help, help us through those uh, issues.
0: Yeah. Do you have some that work with you in your practice or is it just kind of, you refer out for that?
1: Uh, I, I refer out for that. We don't have them in our practice, but that's okay. We have great ones in my community. And then there's also a uh, wonderful organization called ASECT, which is the, you know, it's an organization, a professional organization of um, mental health providers who focus on sexual health and they are, you know, certified in a particular way.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, I want to go back to menopause for just one second here. Do you see it becoming more common that people are going through menopause early, earlier than they quote unquote should?
1: What I do see, which I think is a good thing, is that women and providers, and basically everybody is talking about this a little bit more. So whether people are actually going through earlier or we're just more aware of it at an earlier time, I'm not, I think the jury's still out. Mm -hmm. Uh, What I also know is that there are, you know, documented risk factors for going through an earlier menopause. So for example, genetic factors, if your mom and all your sisters had menopause in their very early forties, it's very possible that you will have a similar experience. Smokers tend to have an earlier and more notable menopause, but earlier age of onset. Uh, So those are two things. uh, And there are of course, other environmental factors as well. Okay. Yeah.
0: Are there? I mean, if you want to speak about some other causes of early menopause, do you have any other things you can provide there?
1: Well, you know, early menopause means menopause before the age of forty-five, okay. which should be distinguished from what is called premature menopause or premature ovarian uh, insufficiency or failure, which is the before the age of forty. That has a whole different bucket of uh, reasons um, for occurring, usually some sort of an autoimmune issue or some sort of treatment like a cancer treatment or medication or radiation that may have altered um, you know, the age of natural menopause. Surgery surely can alter the age of menopause and the experience. Uh, treatments for different uh, diseases or um, conditions can alter age of menopause. Uh, I would say that, uh, stress. And I don't mean just like a little bit of stress, but like an overwhelming stress, like the loss of somebody mm-hmm. grief, uh, a fine grief, a move that was, uh, you know, very, uh, stressful. Sometimes those can bring on a death of a family member, something along that line. We've seen people literally have their last menstrual flow right at that time and never to get it back again.
0: Mm, okay. I heard you mention autoimmune diseases. Mm-hmm. Are, uh, would you say, all autoimmune diseases are going to increase that or is it specific ones?
1: There is an autoimmune connection to premature ovarian failure or premature menopause.
0: Okay, and, so it, just it's, overall.
1: Yeah it's, an auto, yeah, it's It's considered to be possibly an autoimmune condition, but it's, it's a distinct it. one. It's not like if you have a thyroid autoimmune issue, you're gonna go through an automatic uh, premature menopause. It's more of its own condition. Mm,
0: Okay. Got it. Um, now I know you help people with like vaginal health overall. Is there any other tips on that piece of how can a woman optimize that, whether it's food or probiotic supplements, whatever things that they can do for that?
1: Right. Well, you know, it's funny. Some women can literally use any products on their vagina or vulva and go about their day with no issue whatsoever. Keep in mind that I see a, a, a distinct population in my patient population, and they're all coming in with a problem. So those women who can get away with using any products, they're not really coming to see me other than for their regular exam. But those who come in with constant infection, irritation, discharge, odor, uh, you know that just seems to be recurrent over and over, um, may be suffering from a what we call dysbiosis. Their vaginal microbiome is out of whack. It's unbalanced the amount of good bacteria and the amount of bad bacteria and other organisms are just out of balance and it can cause symptoms and even outright infection. We usually for this population recommend avoidance of anything that could be potentially allergenic. So fragrant products, uh, um, uh, whether it's tampons, body washes, we definitely suggest to avoid the practice of douching, which is still somewhat popular. We um, talk about using white toilet paper, or something undyed, maybe changing pads, tampons to something organic or cotton to get out of your wet workout clothes or bathing suit right away so that bacteria and yeast don't have a very moist environment to thrive in. Uh, so th- those are things. We also speak about diet. You know, people who have super high sugar or alcohol diets may be more prone to infection and then, of course, sexual activity. So, you know, sexual health goes hand in hand with vaginal health, multiple partners, lack of condom use, uh, certain spermicides, these can all alter the biome and cause symptoms. Um, does that sort of answer your question? I would also say mm-hmm. that hormone changes in general. So, whether it's due to birth control pills, that's hormonal or menopausal transition or menopause in general or even pregnancy because of the alteration that's pretty uh, notable in hormones can uh, increase risk of that uh, biome being disrupted. Mhm. Um
0: yeah, a couple things on this. So, I heard you mention high sugar and high alcohol diets. I definitely agree with that. Um I do functional lab testing in my practice, so I'll look at gut health and yeah vitamins and minerals and all sorts of different things. Um, and I definitely see a correlation with the women who are coming in with frequent UTIs and yeast infections, having a yeast overgrowth in their gut and other parasites or things going on. Then, and, and a lot of times, once we address those, and that also goes along with, uh, eating an anti-inflammatory diet and getting rid of those refined sugars and alcohol and, and things like that. So just want to say, I totally agree with that one.
1: Yeah, I don't know how you feel about probiotics. You know, I know they're all the rage right now, but we are specifically interested in probiotics geared towards feminine health, Mm -hmm. uh, which usually just contain different strains of that good bacteria than maybe some of the gut health probiotics. Uh, Either way, uh, my patients definitely seem to benefit from them, especially if they are suffering with documented recurrent yeast or bacterial vaginosis infections. And in fact, Claire V, which is a probiotic specifically designed for feminine health taken for 15 days of each month on a regular basis, each month, this is brought, brought to us by bonafide health has been studied. And we do see that the um, specific strains actually make it from oral consumption to the vagina based Mm. on vaginal colonization studies. So I think that's important.
0: Oh yeah. Do you know some of the strains that are in
1: there? Yeah, so Claire v contains uh, lactobacilli acidophilus and lactobacillus uh, rhamnosus. Mm -hmm. Uh, Also contains a prebiotic called lactoferrin, which I'm sure you're familiar with, which tends to maintain the viability of these strains so that they can traverse the gut and land where they're supposed to. And then this is a capsule and capsule, which I'm sure you've seen before. They're super cool. So the liquid that surrounds it, not only again, maintains the viability of the strains to make it through the gut, but Mm -hmm. also contains folic acid so that it is, uh, we we know that women who have low folic acid have more severe uh, BV. So that was a a strategic uh, ingredient.
0: Oh, I love that. That is awesome. And I heard you say something about tampons and pads. Do you ever recommend vaginal cups
1: yep, over those things? I sure do. Yeah. So the vaginal cups that are most um, appealing to me as a gynecologist are those made from medical grade sil- silicone. Mm-hmm. So they're pretty inert. I think, you know, after the learning curve, which of course can be a little messy and frustrating at first, yeah. these can be a game changer because they don't absorb the menstrual flow. They collect it. So, Mm. you know, when you think about a tampon, for example, and believe me, this, I'm not bashing tampons. They're great for loads of people, especially athletes, uh, but they absorb and they can even dry out the vagina and change the biome. If they are, if you are wearing a tampon, that's too absorbent for your flow. And everybody knows that awful feeling of pulling out a dryer tampon. It's quite uncomfortable. We have found that women who suffer with recurrent infection over and over, might benefit from uh, using a menstrual cup because they're not dealing with that absorption. A pad, of course, again, I'm a big fan of pads for people who like to use them, but you know, if you're wearing one even for just a couple of hours, the moisture builds up, some of it is wicked away, but just moisture in general, even just from perspiration, is a prime breeding ground for bacteria and yeast. So you need to change often. But again, for those people with multiple infections, a menstrual cup could help. One caveat: If somebody is using an IUD with a menstrual cup, they really do need to work on their technique for removal, so you don't you know suction (laughs) out or dislodge your IUD.
0: Okay, that is a good point. I didn't think about that, (laughs) but yeah, I like how you said once you get over the learning curve because they're a little tricky in the beginning, but totally worth it. Yeah,
1: they are, are. and certainly they are a lot less expensive than uh, some of the other products.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, Do you ever see a lot of women with PMDD.
1: I do. Uh, okay. I do. I I think it's. I guess what I should say is that I see a lot of women with PMS. Mm-hmm. PMDD is a much more severe form of PMS, usually diagnosed and managed by a mental health therapist because these women are really suffering. But you know, there's a fine line between uh, uh, that transition, PMS or PMDD. But yes, I do. And. Uh, you know, oftentimes we'll use an antidepressant low dose for this. Oftentimes we'll use supplements, uh, particularly uh, uh, one called serenol, which again studies behind it to suggest how helpful it is for uh, PMS. But real PMDD with the standard DSM five criteria needs to be managed and watched with a mental health provider because you know sometimes these women really uh, are suffering beyond uh, what they should be and, and need further attention.
0: Mm -hmm. Um, and if you can't speak to this, that's okay. But have you seen hormone replacement therapy or hormone drops or anything like that work quickly to help those symptoms with someone with PMDD? Or is that something that's going to take a while to get through those, those mental, emotional, really serious symptoms?
1: Yeah. I would have to say that I think that the PMDD is cyclical by definition. So it does occur on a cyclical Mm. basis with the hormonal shifts, but many, many times there's a a, uh, correlation or a combination with some depression, some other anxiety and maybe other things going on. So again, uh, I do my part with maybe birth control pills for regulation, maybe one of these supplements, but uh, I think this this type of person who's having their day-to-day life activities and their relationships interfered with by their emotional symptoms during their cycle is best addressed by a mental health therapist. Antidepressants Mm -hmm. work really well, and that's typically what's used.
0: Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, Is there anything important that we missed that you want to chat about before we end?
1: I think two things that I always like to leave these interviews with, which is number one, uh, menopause should be faced with optimism because there are good things that occur during this time. And since it's inevitable, what you you might as well face it with optimism rather than uh, the other way around, because it's going to occur. Um, And uh, I also think that we're lucky because these subject matters are being brought up now very commonly, whereas even a couple of years back, they weren't. And I think many more people were suffering as a result of that. So now it's really on the radar for so many more people. Mm -hmm.
0: You said face menopause with optimism. What what could make someone look at it differently?
1: Yeah, number one, no bleeding. So that's a big <laughs> deal. People have been having their bleeding habits interfere with their lives for a very long time. We see miss school, miss work as a result of uh, menstrual discomforts or bleeding or whatnot. Of course, we do see miss work as a result of menopausal symptoms as well. But at least no bleeding. Number two. Freedom from having to worry about fertility and/or contraception, depending on where you stood. So I think that's something which certainly causes sadness for some women, but really can be a liberating thing for many other people. Third, at the time of menopause, many many people are really at the pinnacles of their careers. They've you know maybe had their families uh, and are watching their kids launch. They might have more confidence or wisdom. So I just think we have to really embrace those things.
0: Oh, I love that perspective. Well, one final question that I like to ask everyone is if you could leave the listeners with one thing that they could do implement into their lives this week to help them live a healthier, happier life, what would that be?
1: Wow. Well, that's a very broad question. So (laughs) from my angle as a gynecologist, I would say just uh, take care of your vagina. (laughs) first response like that on the show. (laughs) I figured I would leave you with something that was unique. (laughs) Yes. Yes. No one will
0: forget that one. Uh, Well, thank you so much. You've provided some amazing information today. So you can go ahead and share any final thoughts and then also how people can find you online.
1: Yeah. Please look me up at hellobonafide.com. I'm the chief medical officer and I think there's wonderful education on the site, most of which I have vetted or written. So, um, I, uh, I, I trust that information is valid and credible. Um, and my uh, latest book, like you mentioned is the complete, I'm sorry, the complete A to Z for your V and now you know what V stands for. Mm-hmm. I
0: yeah. love it. And we'll have the links to your books and websites and everything in the podcast notes.
1: Fantastic. Thank you. Thank you.
0: What an episode that was. I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did, and if so, please make sure you leave a comment and rating on whatever podcast platform you're using, and share this episode with a friend who needs to hear it. And before I go, I want to talk more about how I may be able to help you. If you're someone who is sick of running from doctor to doctor, not getting any answers, but you still know deep down that there's something wrong, functional medicine is the way for you to go. I have worked with so many people who have been dismissed by doctors, who have experienced anxiety, hair loss, PMS, brain fog, eczema, bloating, other GI issues, and so many other things. But when I run functional medicine labs on these people, we find issues like gut infections, heavy metals, mold, leaky gut, nutrient deficiencies, and many other things as the root cause of what's going on. And then through nutrition and lifestyle changes and custom supplementation and herbal protocols, I'm able to actually help these people get rid of their symptoms. I've seen clients reverse their rheumatoid arthritis, alopecia areata, IBS, and other complex health issues. I've also seen clients who thought they were generally healthy, but then they leveled up into an optimized and energetic version of themselves that they didn't even know they, they could access. So wherever you're at, you can book a free health consultation call with me by going to the link in the show notes or if you head over to naturalhealthrising.com and book a call. You can do that right now so that you can start feeling like yourself, happy and energized once again. Okay, that's all I have for you today. Keep tuning in every week to gain more knowledge on how to live your healthiest, happiest life And make sure to follow me on TikTok and Instagram for additional health information.